So this Wednesday, as you know, marks the beginning of Lent. Lent starts about six weeks before Easter, and it's the time when the church around the world prepares itself to celebrate the risen Jesus. So it starts with Ash Wednesday, and we've been invited to mark that time here with the St. Clair's congregation at 7.30. And Ken will be speaking, and I think Cassie's planning to lead a song. So I didn't grow up observing Lent, so I thought I would maybe explain a bit of it for those of you who are like me and didn't grow up with it. So Ash Wednesday is called Ash Wednesday because it's a time when we remember together a basic fact of our existence, and that's our mortality. And that's something that's not usually fun to think about, but I think we can discover some comfort in acknowledging it together, that we're in this together as we receive the imposition of ashes. You see people going around with like the ashes and a cross shape on their forehead. So Lent begins with remembering death, and it ends with the hope of the resurrection. It's also a season when many Christians practice self-denial. You know, fasting has long been part of the tradition, and you'll often hear people saying that they gave something up for Lent, right? Whether it's meat or sugar or Facebook. It's the reason we have Mardi Gras, right? Fat Tuesday, it's always the Tuesday before Ash Wednesday because people want to, you know, party and eat and drink before they have to give things up for Lent. And so I would say give something up if it's meaningful to you or if you're feeling like a nudge from the Holy Spirit to do so. Um, no one's going to think you're a lesser Christian if you don't. I'm actually not sure if I'm going to fast from something this Lent, though I sometimes do. A couple of Lents ago, I, you know, I'm pescatarian, but I tried to go vegan, and I failed totally after like two weeks. So if you're going to give up something, I would just encourage you to give up something that's challenging, but maybe not so challenging that you fail, because I felt a little defeated in that. But here at Blue Ocean, we use Lent to focus on something that we call leap of faith. And so perhaps we can think about leap of faith as like a, a set of maybe experiments or exercises that can hopefully open us up to having an experience of Jesus. So we sent you a user's manual via the, the weekly update via email on Friday. If you didn't get one and you'd like one, you can just email one of the staff, talk to me. And then Caroline also has a few extras that are printed back there on the welcome table that you can pick up. And in that manual, what we're doing is outlining just some of the practices that we're going to do together this season. And it might look like or sound like a lot, but you don't have to do them all. Do what works for you. And some of these are interconnected. So the first thing that we do is something we call praying for our six. So for those of you who haven't been here with us during Lent before, you might wonder what that means. Well, what we do is we select six people from our lives and we pray for them every day during Lent. And we try not to do people who are maybe like close family or really close friends that you might already pray for, but these are people who are maybe a little more peripheral, maybe a coworker or a classmate, or maybe somebody on your soccer team. I think one year Ken prayed for the mayor. You could do something like that. And what we pray is really simple. It's just that they would experience more of God in their lives, whatever that might look like or feel like to them. And that's it. And we just see what happens. You know, I had one friend um, who was talking to me, and she said that she felt like a couple of the people she prayed for last year, she was like, I feel like their lives are actually like worse off now than they were last year. <laughs> and I thought, okay, well, fair enough. But I was thinking about that a little bit this week, and I was thinking about how now, sometimes when my life looked and maybe felt the worst was when I actually experienced God's presence the most. 
And so that helps me maintain some hope that perhaps God, maybe he peeks through, you know, kind of all of the horse manure in our lives, even when we look like a mess, that we never know what's going on because there is mystery. So the second thing that we do is something that we call my big ask. And it's what it sounds like, right? You ask for something big that's personal for yourself, like something it would take God to accomplish. And the purpose for this is twofold. One, it's to help us... um, build our faith. And the second is so that we can practice taking our like really big desires to Jesus. And like praying for our six, we ask for my big ask, say it carefully, every day during Lent. (laughs) You had nerd Ken's joke before. He loves to say that one. (laughs) That was my wife laughing. (laughs) So I found over the years um, that this element of leap of faith actually is the one that causes people to have the most internal objections. And so I want to address a couple of these because I've experienced these objections myself. So the first one was this. So when I did leap of faith for the first time, this was years ago, I thought that this part, the my big ask, sounded a little bit like the prosperity gospel or like some kind of a faith thing. You know, like those TV preachers on cable that are like saying, if you send money, you'll get all this blessing. You can ask God for anything you want. And with faith, you'll get it. You can be rich. You can be successful, whatever. But I remember just thinking, you know, like, I know God isn't like a pop machine or a soda machine, right? It's not like we can just stick in our quarters and we pick the Coca-Cola and we get what we want. You know, fortunately, I'm not able to control God like that. I think C.S. Lewis said, you know, he's not a tame lion, But I've discovered that that's not what this is. I don't think it's us trying to control God or even us acting like spoiled children expecting to get everything we want. Because the very fact that this prayer is framed as a request, it implies that it could be denied. Right? There's no promise that you're going to get what you ask for. There's no implication that you'll get something if you have enough faith for it. And just as frustrating, we may never know why or why not something does or does not happen. Or sometimes we might get what we're asking for, but it might not be in the time frame that we're expecting. I think in the packet, Ken outlines, it was one of his My Big Asks a couple of years ago. He talks about how he was worried about his retirement savings. And so he was praying about that. And he's like, you know, it's not like a bunch of money came to me in the next year. But he found that what God was doing instead was maybe just sort of unpacking some of his anxiety and his fears and why those were there. And did he trust God to take care of him? And then he said, you know, now then, since then, over the last couple of years, a couple of things have opened up. And so it's one of those things where we open our hands to God, and maybe there's some other things that he wants to be talking with us in this. So sometimes it doesn't happen in the time frame we're hoping, and sometimes it doesn't happen in the way that we hope. And so I think all of this underlines the reality that my big ask is a risk. And that, yeah, we might be disappointed, but if our main goal is to protect ourselves from being disappointed, then we probably shouldn't ask God for anything ever. But we're experimenting here with the possibility that we are children in relation to God, who is like a good parent, and that he cares for us, and he wants what's in our best interest, and that we can trust him with our deepest wants and our deepest needs. And you know, if you have children, you know, it's not always in their best interest to get everything that they ask for. But you also know that you'll go out of your way to delight them and to do more than meet their needs. So I also think it's worth noting here that I don't think God always gets God's way in the here and the now. I'm not sure God always gets God's way right now. And I know that's an interesting statement. And I think I'm going to unpack that a little bit more in the sermon um, directly after Easter. We're going to talk about maybe why prayers don't always get answered. 
But for now, I don't think he always gets his way until the full impartation of the kingdom of God bursts through into our present time. But I still think that we are instructed to ask with faith for what we want and for what we need, trusting that God will act in our best interest as often as possible and that sometimes miracles do happen. So that's the first objection. The second objection I've often had is, you know, like, why would God want to do something for me? You know, I don't know if this is just particular to me, but I sometimes have a hard time asking for big things for myself. And I think in part because I've lived in some of the poorest areas of the world, and I just wonder sometimes why I have any right to ask for anything more for myself. I am so blessed. And in part, I think it's also less risky to ask something for someone else than it is to ask for ourselves. We have less disappointment risk. But we don't ask for something for ourselves because we think we deserve more. We do it to remind ourselves that God cares to know about the things that we care deeply about. And that can be a little bit scary, and that can be a little bit vulnerable, because there's always a chance that the prayer won't get answered. And we might feel like God has failed us, or like God doesn't care for us. But the hope is that the very exercise of making ourselves vulnerable to God will make space for us to feel closer to God and to have intimate conversation about the things that are most dear to us, that are important in our hearts, and that will perhaps sense him talking to us in that space regardless of the outcome. Right? So it's opening us up for an intimate connection with God. And for what it's worth, not all of my own personal big asks have been answered in the way that I hoped or at all, but some have, and a couple of them in like really miraculous and unexpected ways. Right, so perhaps prayer and vulnerability with God can pave the way for things to happen that might not otherwise have happened. And if the point is to grow in a risk-taking faith, then why not try? Because if it always worked, it wouldn't be much of a risk, would it? So these exercises, they're designed to help us mature in our faith. And I think that maturing in faith or being discipled in the Christian faith, it sometimes maybe looks different than what we might expect. You know, when I think about people who are like spiritually mature, I might think of them being like people who are like leading Bible study groups and they're leading service projects and they're unpacking the scripture in like a really expert way. And all of those things are good and they are or they can be a part of the spiritual maturation process, but they're not the end goal. Right? They're ways of helping us know God better. They're ways of helping us shape our lives and our characters to be more like Jesus. You know, things like serving, they help us lay down our own power and to recognize that the wants and needs of other people are just as important as our own. And giving money away, I think it can detach us from the power of money in our lives and it helps shape our hearts so that we can be more generous people. But the end goal is always to know God and to be known by him and to make his ways known in this world, right? It's to trust him and to depend on him, and that's where the goods are. Because when we can trust him, and when he can trust us to trust him, like, that's where the faith walk gets really exciting. That's when things start to happen that astound us. You know, when I was in the midst of, of coming out publicly a year and a half ago, and all that ensued, um, a good friend came by my office and he reminded me of a text from Luke chapter 4. And it might seem like kind of a strange text here, but it's the text where Jesus is being tempted by the devil. Right? And so the devil, you know, the word Satan isn't really a proper noun. 
in the Bible. It means the accuser. And it does seem to be like the biblical worldview is that there is some sort of personal evil or something that's like an opposing spirit opposed to God's ways in this world. But however it is that we think about it in this particular scene, whether this was like a vision or something that actually happened, let's just listen to what's going on here between Jesus and this accuser. I'm going to read verses 1 to 13. It says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, he left the Jordan River. This was after he was baptized. And he was led away by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. It says he ate nothing during those days. And at the end of them, he was hungry. And so the devil said to him, he said, if you're the son of God, you tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, he said, it's written, man shall not live on bread alone. And so the devil, he led him up to a high place and he showed him in an instant all of the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you, this is Satan talking to Jesus, I will give you all of their authority and all of their splendor. It's been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will be yours. And Jesus answered, he said, it's written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil led him to Jerusalem and he had him stand on the highest point of the temple. And he said, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it's written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, he said, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had finished all of this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. And so what my friend said to me after reminding me of this passage, he was like giving me like a little mini sermon. And he said this, he said, Emily, don't try to create your own strength said, you will be tempted to try and make bread out of stones, but you cannot. The only bread you need is the bread of life, and that's Jesus. And he is all the strength that you need, because you're not going to be able to find enough on your own merit to do this without him. But what you need to do is you need to talk to him every day, and you need to ask him to provide for what you need. He is your sustenance. And he went on, and he said, and don't play political power games. Satan told Jesus that if he would bow down to him, then all of the kingdoms of the world could be his. You know, Jesus was going to get all the kingdoms of the world anyway, but he was going to have to walk a path of suffering in order to get there, right? Of self-giving love. And Satan was saying to him, I will give it to you if you bow down to me without you having to go through all of that. But our power on this earth, it doesn't rely on power games. Power in the kingdom of God is upside down, right? Power, spiritual power comes from the laying down of power. We lay down our power to be able to control situations because the honest truth is none of us can really control much of anything. Certainly not anyone. We've tried. (laughs) Probably most of us have tried. All right, the only power that we have is to trust wholly in the person of Jesus and in his ability to walk with us through suffering that leads to life. He said, you know, he's the one that brings life out of death. Jesus knows suffering. Don't play power games. You just worship Jesus alone. And third, he said, don't look to dramatic acts that prove that God is on your side. You don't need that. Satan took Jesus up to the highest part of the temple and said, throw yourself off of there and let the angels catch you and let everybody know that you are God. He said, no, just rest in the knowledge that God is good, that God is here, that God is for you. God wants what's best for you. And the place to rest is to be like a child in the arms of your really good dad because that's the safest place and that's the place from which you're going to operate out of the most spiritual authority. That is the only place that you can draw your strength and power. He said, trust God. It's all you have. It's your only way forward. And he's either real or he's not, right? This either works or it doesn't. 
And I remember thinking, you know, all of my discipleship in my life, all of my serving, all of my ministry leading, all of my pastoring, all my scripture study, all the, you know, grad school, mission work, all that stuff. You know what? It can all be moot because what it all does is it boils down to whether or not I'd actually learned to trust God when I most needed him. And I thought, you know, sometimes I doubt. You know, most reasonable people do, but you know what? I do believe this God is real. And so I've got to continue to throw my lot in with Jesus. And the way of Jesus was to model vulnerable, childlike faith, right? To bring his needs and his desires to God. And he invites us to do that, right? In Luke chapter 11, ask and you shall receive, seek and you shall find, knock and the door will be open to you. And that is what saw me through. And I wasn't perfect at it, but that was the only place to find my strength, and so you might ask, how do we learn to trust Jesus? Well, we practice. And even if you're a person and you found like, gosh, I think I feel like I trust Jesus in most circumstances. Some of us have been through some really hard stuff. I still think we need to practice. I still need to practice. Life throws us all kinds of curveballs. This is part of our lifelong work as disciples. And so that said, that's part of why I've turned out to really love my big ask because I think it's practicing vulnerability and it's taking our needs and our hopes to Jesus, right? It's practicing intimacy and trust in him alone and trusting that he is good and he actually wants our best. So the third thing we pray for during Lent is our big ask, right? So we've got pray for your six, my big ask, and then our big ask. So this is something that we're praying together as a church for the church. So last year, our big ask was to become two things. One, a home for those who have had difficulty finding um, a home or a place of faith where they can belong. And I think that's been answered. We have several people here who were not here with us last year. And secondly, to find a secure home for Blue Ocean Faith to gather on Sundays for the next year. And we just signed that lease actually last Sunday. So God answered both of those is what I would say. And I want to give him some credit or glory for that. So this year, we, we also um, want to do two different things for our big ask. So the first one is we want to pray for more Blue Ocean Church plants. So a lot of people all over the country have expressed um, a desire to go to a church that's like ours. Like, I wish I could take some of you. Maybe this year, like, I invite you guys to go to some of these conferences, like the Y Christian Conference or the Gay Christian Network. Like, people are like, oh my gosh, if I had a church like that near me, that's totally where I would go. So what we're going to do is we're going to pray that God would help us to be the kind of church that can support new churches that are springing up all over to meet this need. And in particular, we're going to focus our prayers on four new startup Blue Ocean churches. So these are all listed in that packet. So if you wanted to pray for them by, like, specifically, you can do that. So the first one is in Santa Monica, California, and that one's being planted by Dave and Grace Schmelzer, who just incorporated. Um, Grand Rapids, Michigan, which is John West. Uh, Sue Burkett in Columbus, Ohio. She was um, a prayer pastor for many, many years on staff at a large church in Columbus. And then in Berkeley, California is my dear friend Leah. So those of you who remember Adi Wasink, who spoke here last fall, Leah was her worship pastor. And so she's now out in Berkeley. And they actually had, they started a church over the last year and it was in her living room and it's grown to 30 people. So now they can't fit in her living room anymore. And they just had their first service in a rented space last Sunday. So this is a really big moment for them. And so we want to pray that those thrive. The second thing is our church board and frankly our staff as well wanted to honor Ken's late wife, Nancy. So some of you knew Nancy, um, some of you didn't, you know, Ken's actually married to Julia now, he remarried an Episcopalian priest, but he was married to Nancy for like 40-something years, and she had a really big heart for single moms and their families. 
And so we'd like to start a scholarship fund to help some single moms and their kids with college expenses. And so we want to pray just that God would bless that and would send us some money and some wisdom for how to best use that. Right, so our big ask is for Blue Ocean Church Plants and for the Single Mom Scholarship Fund to thrive. And in relation to both of these, we're also going to give away some money. So church finances are miraculously healthy. I say that like we are only one year really into this church plant and we already have three months reserve plus some other cushion. I mean, you have no, yeah, it's, it's like mind-blowing. I think we hope at one point, maybe a few years down the line, to have a little more than that. But like, we're at a place where we can start to give money away. And so what the church board has approved is for us to give away $10,000 to these church plants, split four ways, $2,500 each. Um, Our church received money from other Blue Ocean churches. I don't know if you knew that, as we were planting. So Charles Parks Church in Manhattan gave us thousands uh, he gave us 1000 a month for a few months, and Dave Schmelzer's church gave us like 3000 So we're at a point now where we can start to turn around and bless others in that same way. And secondly, the board approved $1,500 for a one-time single mom scholarship. We would love to be able to make that like renewable for the recipient. And so to that end, we want to start by giving away our Easter offering. So for those of you who give online, that money, we're not going to touch that money to give it away. What we're talking about is actually on Easter morning, when we pass the buckets, whatever's put in those buckets, we're going to add to the Single Mom Scholarship Fund. So if that stirs your heart, maybe just save a little bit of extra and stick it in the bucket that morning. So pray for your six, my big ask, our big ask, giving away some money, and then we've got three bonus items. Okay, I know, it's like, it's like so much. I was like, we've got so many announcements and all this. The first one is get baptized. If you haven't been baptized and you would like to get baptized, we are doing baptisms on Easter morning, right? It'll be the first Blue Ocean baptisms that we've had. And we purchased a, you know, a decent-sized blow-up hot tub (laughs) that we're going to put right here. And St. Clair's has been great to work with us because we're like, how are we draining that? And we're going to have some nice good mats so you can slosh over to the, the bathrooms and get dressed. And I think it's going to be lovely. Um, so if you'd like to do that, we'll have a sign up in the next couple of weeks. I would love to meet with anybody who would like to get baptized just to let you know what to expect. And if you have any questions. And if anybody just has questions in general, if you're like, gosh, I'm thinking about it, but I don't know. You can always either email me, call me, and I'm always happy to meet with people to talk about baptism. So do that. Um, the questions often arise around baptism. So some people who are baptized as infants find it meaningful to be baptized as an adult. And so we would say you are welcome to do that if you would like. But we also recognize and we officiate infant baptisms as well. We're very third way on baptism. <laughs> but if your baby or your infant baptism was meaningful to you, it's meaningful to us. I'm also happy to baptize kids and youth as long as they've got a parent or a guardian's consent and that parent or guardian feels like the kid has some understanding of what they're doing. So I was baptized at eight and I always felt like that was really meaningful to me and so I want to honor that in other people's families. So bonus one is get baptized. Bonus two is a daily scripture reading. So in keeping with our Lenten sermon theme about Sola Jesus, we're going to be sending out an email into your inbox every day with the words of Jesus and there'll be a way to opt out if you don't want to get them. So there'll be like a little opening comment from either Ken or me about it. And all you have to do is read it and let it do its work. You know, sometimes Jesus' sayings are a little bit challenging. And so I would just challenge you to wrestle with it. If you have questions, ask God about it. Ask your small group, ask a friend, and, you know, just let it sort of percolate. 
Bonus number three, I think we already talked about in the announcements, and that's to do prayer beads. So in the core, you don't have to have signed up. Go down, eat pizza with us. I did put them in my pocket. This is one example of what these could look like. I know, it's really cool, isn't it? So what this is, is Gretchen came up with this design where the cross or whatever's on the end is where you could pray for our big ask for the church. And then up here would be for my big ask. And then each one of these six bigger beads would be for each one of your six. So some people find this helpful to have something tactile in their hands. You know, a lot of different um, religions use prayer beads as a way to sort of help people with prayers. And then these little ones, we're going to be talking about different sort of calming prayer practices through Lent. You could use those maybe for like the Jesus prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, if that's helpful to you. So these are kind of cool. Come on down. And as Ken would say, ready, set, Lent. (laughs) So we're going to go ahead and have two minutes of silence here. And what I'd like us to do is meditate on the words of Jesus to a man named Bartimaeus. So in the Gospel of Mark, there's a blind guy. His name's Bartimaeus. And he's sitting outside some city gates. I think it was Jericho. And he's sitting there and he hears that Jesus is coming along the road and he starts shouting out to him, Rabbi, Rabbi, Rabbi. And all of the people around him are just telling him to be quiet. You know, like you're unclean. You're not really worthy to talk to a rabbi of this stature. Be quiet. But Bartimaeus keeps calling out, Rabbi. And Jesus says, he says, call him to me. And then he says to Bartimaeus, he says, what do you want me to do for you? Bartimaeus says, I want to see. And so Jesus heals him. But the part I'd like us to meditate on is Jesus saying, what do you want me to do for you? And you don't have to come up with an answer right now. I just want you to picture him saying it. You can open your heart and maybe just ask God to search your heart. Like, what is my my desire? What is it that I most want? So I'll have you do this for two minutes. I'll keep an eye on the time. And let's just start maybe by taking a couple of big breaths. Just relax, get comfortable in your seat. It's okay if there's a little extra noise. You know, babies make noise, kids make noise. We're not worried about like complete silence, but just let's let the Holy Spirit of God just rest on us as we open ourselves to Jesus. So come Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do for you?
Holy Spirit, teach us. Teach us to trust you. Be gentle with our vulnerability as we open our hearts to you and, and talk to you about what's really important to us and we come to you with hope and with expectation. Yeah. Be tender with your children. Mature us to a place, Lord, where in all things we can trust you and that our lives are a witness to a people who are able to trust their God. Jesus, we just offer you all that we are.